Welcome to Marvelous Disney. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings of one of the more interesting divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. I'm entertainment writer Jim Hill, and you and I must have been really good Marvel fans over the past year, Aaron, because we got a great early gift this year in the, in the release of Sony Pictures Animation Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which... Mm-hmm. That rarer than rare film that actually lived up to the hype? Yeah, I had heard from our good friend Drew Taylor that it was one of his most preferred animated movies of the year. And I was like, oh, them strong words. And I tr- I had to temper my expectations walking through the door. And uh, even with tempered expectations, blew my little mind out of the water. It was crazy good. Crazy good. We'll get into how crazy and how good on the second half of the show. But before we do an in-depth dive on that Sony Pictures Animation release, let's do a quick news wrap here. And I guess the most obvious place to start is, was it our last show where you and I were were predicting that because, you know, clearly Marvel Studios had to keep everything under wraps in regard to Avengers 4 that... We were telling folks, oh, we're not going to see a trailer till what, Captain yeah. Marvel's released in March? And yeah, absolutely. What was it? I think 15 minutes after we actually posted the show, that's when the, um, <laughs> the, actual the, the trailer Avengers dropped. Endgame trailer dropped. Though, though, to our credit, Aaron, we did mention a couple of months ago that when we were looking over possible titles that... Endgame had to be one of the ones in the mix, largely because of what Doctor Strange says during the battle with Thanos and Titan, that we're in the endgame now, right? One of the ten of our guesses, one of them was halfway (laughs) accurate. Yeah, okay, so, all right, well, well, thank you for helping me cover our ass, so what did you think of the trailer? It was good. I mean, they can't show any money shots. It's a teaser trailer, so mm-hmm. they don't get to reveal a whole lot. So there's not a lot of big, epic things that you see. It's it's Stark talking to his helmet for a good little bit. I did really enjoy the shot of Thanos' armor hanging up, kind of almost like a scarecrow in a field look. Mm-hmm. And then the gag with Ant-Man at the end was was funny. So, I mean, you get your drama up front so you know that there's weight in this movie you get the reminder of where things stand with a little shot of thanos armor and then you get a little comedy nugget at the end with ant-man to let you know hey we're still gonna have a good time it's not gonna be just a downer so i think it was a well-balanced trailer that gets you ready but you know there's not a lot of money shots and not a lot of reveals of anything outside of we're doomed i definitely agree with you that it it was a well-constructed trailer particularly again when you think about how bleak and how it sketched out the stakes. Right. And then that wonderful bit at the end where it's like, <laughs> we met in Germany at the airport, remember? I love Paul Rudd as Ant-Man. He is so funny. Absolutely. But this trailer already has been viewed 72 million times just on the Marvel Studios YouTube channel alone. It's now already evidently the fifth most viewed trailer in Hollywood history. And it's only been out for like 10 days at this point. And the German office for Disney Studios released a statement. This is the translation to English. So it's a little, you know, the, 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 a little the fuzzy. syntax is a little off. But members of the press, this is the most anticipated trailer of the year. What started with Iron Man in 2008 is going to end with a bombastic bang. After lots of adventures in the most dramatic finale in recent movie history with Avengers Infinity Wars, all threads of the Marvel Cinematic Universe converge in the ultimate all-changing showdown. 
just so we'll have even more egg on our face uh, you know, in the coming weeks, Aaron. We'll have a full omelet. Go ahead. Spoke with folks at the studio, and evidently the second trailer for Avengers Endgame uh-huh. will debut about a week, 10 days ahead of Captain Marvel's cinematic bow in theaters. So again, March 8th of the oh. roads. Well, mark it on your calendars. You, you said it. It will be true. I have faith. <laughs> I hope. I, you know, again... But I guess there's been a couple of work-in-progress screenings already for folks at the studio, and it really is the culmination of the past 10 years of films uh-huh. that yeah. expect lots of callbacks to earlier Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, giant epic battles with everybody getting moments. They expect a lot of humor, uh, also a lot of heart, and I was just told, bring Kleenex, because... There are a few people are going down and not coming back. Sure. Moving on to our next project to talk with here, because, of course, right after we get Avengers Endgame in theaters on April 26th, it's only, what, six weeks later that we get Spider-Man Far From Home. Mm-hmm. It's been one of the worst-kept secrets on the planet that even though we saw Peter Parker reduced to dust on Titan... Clearly, the character is coming back because Far From Home is being, has been shot in London and, and actually Venice as well last summer in, in, into the fall. Mm-hmm. We just got confirmation that Peter Parker does, in fact, survive because earlier this week, comic book stores around the country received uh, solicitations for the issues that they can order for March 2019. And among the issues that Marvel was offering was the first of two prelude issues that sort of set up the storyline for Far From Home. Mm-hmm. And this is what it was included in the paperwork, the story description okay. for that issue, issue solicitation. So it, it says, Peter Parker has already fought with the Avengers. Now he faces his biggest challenge, high school. Having the proportionate strength and agility of a spider doesn't help Peter fit in. But when a piece of alien Chitari technology falls into the wrong hands... His ability may be the only thing standing between New York City and Annihilation. Well, that and the expert tutelage of one Tony Stark, a.k.a. Iron Man. So when I look at that story breakdown, that to me doesn't necessarily say that this is is where the story picks up after Endgame. With the the Marvel movie tie-ins with the comic books, they usually go up, you know, like... Hours before the movie starts or days before the movie starts, they wouldn't, mm-hmm. I don't think they would tell a story that was pre Infinity War in a comic book that is getting ready to lead up to the new Spider Man movie, especially if Infinity War 2 Endgame would have been out by then. When mm-hmm. does the, when do the comics come out? To be honest, I'm not sure. I'm just wondering if this is a story that uses foreshadowing, but face it. You know, from what, you know, the storyline that's been set up from Captain America Civil War, mm-hmm. Spider-Man really only comes on Tony Stark's radar in that, that period of time. That That's when he goes to the projects and meets with Peter and Aunt May in their mm-hmm. apartment. So it's going to start off with like page one, panel one, and Tony going, wow, thank God we survived that, huh, kid? And it'll be Peter going, yeah, that was great. <laughs> you know, let's do it again or whatever. Okay, I got a new problem. Let's do this. And it will okay. be a, a little prelude that will lead up, like, almost directly to the movie. So mm-hmm. if you read the comic book and then you go see the movie, they should be connected at the hip. 
Okay. That's that's All my right. prediction, but Marvel tells amazing stories in sometimes the most unpredictable ways. So, you know, there's really no use trying to predict what they're going to do. They're going to they're going to do it and they're going to do it well. Now, speaking of predictions though, and again, mm-hmm. that, that giving credit where credit is due, we were talking about the Netflix cancellations, you know, yeah. the the Marvel series Daredevil, Iron Fist, Luke Cage, mm-hmm. how, you know, those were being shut down. And I was kind of lamenting that, you know, here were these these great shows and sort of cut down on their prime. And you were the one who floated the idea that, well, maybe they will survive over at the new Disney subscription service, which is launching in 2019, uh, Disney+. Plus. Now, even saying it, I was doubtful about it. It was one of those, yeah, they could, I hope, but mm-hmm. I, I really didn't actually believe that they would. Well, the interesting thing is that Kevin Mayer, who's the executive who's actually in charge of this streaming service that Disney's setting up this sort of as Netflix's rival mm-hmm. has said in an interview that he'd recently did with the Hollywood Reporter that he'd consider reviving the programs. Now, mind you, the language, he gives himself the opportunity to back out of this and saying, we haven't discussed it yet, but, you know, I would say that's a possibility considering that they're, they're high quality shows and they're, they're looking to put together, you know, a roster of high quality shows over there. But the problem is that if you get into the actual language, it will, uh, perhaps you can explain what the issue is with the deal. Well, so far, the deal with Netflix in the simplest terms was whenever this gets canceled, there's a two-year hiatus on that title before it can air anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So right now, we've already had Iron Fist, Luke Cage, and Daredevil all canceled by Netflix within the last couple of months. So technically, two years from a couple of months ago, those shows could air on Disney+. Jessica Jones will have a new season coming out in 2019, so she'll have to straddle behind a little bit and then the interesting thing happens when you talk about the punisher because the punisher has a season coming out in 2019 on netflix however the punisher is not part of the original defenders contract talk it was only for the four main characters of the defenders the punisher seemed to be a big hit with the fans they said, hey, let's make a show for The Punisher, and they did. And I thought it was really awesome. So uh, the fact that AM getting another Punisher series right around the corner is great. And the fact that there's no contract talk to hold that up from Disney just grabbing that and putting that front and center first. And then while that airs, they've got a, you know another year and a half or so, or maybe another year to wait before uh, they can get the rest of the Defenders on, but at least they've got material to play with in the meantime. That's true. Disney is willing to take the long view with uh, properties for its uh, Disney Plus subscription streaming service. I mean, take, Mm -hmm. for example, the Star Wars movies. You know, Disney signed the rights over for Rogue One and Last Jedi and that sort of thing to to Turner. So they're... They're locked up over at TNT and TBS till 2024. Disney did reach out within the past year and pile up a large pile of money with the hope that Turner would then turn around and go, okay, all right, we'll take the money and we'll give you the rights back. And Turner laughed. It's like, no, no, we're going to have to hang on to these till for another six years yet. And, but Disney's taking the long view. It's like, okay, it'll take a while to get all the rights back, but in much the same way that the folks over at NBC Universal waited till the rights became available for the Harry Potter movies and then moved those over to sci-fi and that sort of thing. You know, sometimes you have to really, really take the long view here. Mm -hmm. So I guess having to wait 
two years, three years, whatever it takes, you know, what with the Jessica Jones Punisher situation. But it will be interesting to see whether or not these, these shows do, in fact, get resurrected over for Disney playing. Well, I think that Disney and Marvel have in mind, you know, they really wanted to build a connected universe through the mm-hmm. film and the TV and all that. And you can argue whether they did a good job or a bad job through that connectivity. You know, I think as fans, we wish to see a little more connective tissue between the two, but whatever they tried and they did some stuff. So cool. So what I'm thinking is they've made a great effort. There hasn't really been a whole lot of recasting in the Marvel universe. You know, Mm -hmm. we had uh, Rhodey recasted between Iron Man one and two. And beyond that, I'm having a hard time. Obviously, Mark Ruffalo being a new Hulk compared to uh, Ed Norton's Hulk, that is still part of the MCU officially. So, yeah, I mean, they, they've really been mindful of casting a good, solid actor that's willing to stick out a six-movie deal plus, you know, over the years, which is a long time because you're not cranking out Iron Man every year. You know, you're cranking out Iron Man, then an Avengers, and then, you know, so you might appear in somebody else's movie later on down the road. Who knows how it shakes out? Of course, part of the process out ahead of making a movie is scouting locations and that sort of thing. And Aaron, I wanted to pick your brain about something. The news has begun breaking out of Italy that Marvel is over there scouting locations for a forthcoming production that will feature at least a major sequence, possibly a good chunk of the film, mm-hmm. set in World War One. I think a lot of us understand the origins of the Captain America character and its ties to World War II and that sort of thing. But I have to admit, I, I when I heard a Marvel story that that is set or starts in World War One, that nothing came immediately to mind. Is there, there anything that you know about? After a little quick dig, the things that popped up to the top of the search were there were the Secret Empire. Secret Invasion series and Secret Wars showed up hmm. at the top of the list. So, if you were to ask me right now if Marvel's filming something World War One related, what is it? I would say I don't know, but I bet it has the word "secret" in it. Okay, that works. That works. And and obviously, you know, when, when you think about the Kree storyline for Agents of Shield, and which has been referenced in you know the latest trailer for Captain Marvel. So obviously, some of these stories go way, way, way back. And certainly, again, well, I guess we'll have to keep an eye on what's going on in Italy and if any pictures come off the set once they start shooting. Speaking of which, just to double back on the the latest Captain Marvel trailer, and what did we think of that? <laughs> Well, I was a little bummed that they gave away the gag of Captain Marvel punching the old lady Mm -hmm. and giving up the fact that she's a Kree. I was kind of hoping that they would save that for, you know, the movie reveal. But Mm -hmm. I guess they want to let people know that Captain Marvel doesn't just beat up on old ladies willy nilly. Um, Beyond Mm -hmm. that, not a whole lot of new footage. A lot of her getting knocked down and get back up again. I think of the Chumbawamba tub thumping song. I get knocked down, but I get up again. And then at the end, the end was really, really incredible because there is a shot of Captain Marvel zooming through space. And boy, is there a lot of eye candy in that shot. It looked way, way cool. Can't wait to see it probably in IMAX 3D. It just it, that looked amazing. Well, we just have to wait a couple of months. But then when you think about it, we've been waiting a couple of months to see Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. And now we've both seen it and let's talk about it. But first, let's take a break.
so at the top of the show, touching base on what Drew Taylor, uh, the gentleman I do the fine-tuning podcast uh, with, he, you know, very early on clued the two of us into the fact that he thought that the Sony Picture Animation production was the best animated film of 2018. And that's, you know, given that this is the years of, of The Incredibles 2 and a lot of really strong films, that was that was saying something. But it didn't, in fact, deliver the goods. I mean, where would you start if you were telling your friends about this film? I would start by saying don't mistake this for just another Marvel animated movie because it's not. It's different. You know, in the past, Marvel's put all of their Mm -hmm. animated stuff out direct to DVD. Warner Brothers and DC has been a little bit better on their front with their animation department. And actually, I've usually preferred DC's animation over Marvel's most of the time. But this is... Not just a great animated movie. It's a great movie. And it's not just a great Spider-Man movie. It's just a great movie mm-hmm. first. Then it's a great Spider-Man movie. Then it's a great animated Spider-Man movie. I mean, it is really, really vibrant. It is beautiful. It is bold. It is funny, funny, funny. There are so many times where you will laugh and miss like three or four jokes because it is so rapid fire. And then speaking of funny, Nicolas Cage and the gag where in his universe everything is in black and white because he is Spider-Man noir. And he is befuddled throughout the entire movie by a Rubik's Cube because he doesn't see any color. It's all black and white. And so he can't figure out what the gag is with a Rubik's Cube. But he feels compelled that he must solve this mystery. And... I got to say, I think it's my favorite Nicolas Cage performance he's ever done. He just, he fit. He was just tonally in the pocket the whole time. Loved him. Loved him. All of the voice actors, actually. I think what I enjoyed about it, first of all, there's kind of a running gag of the film. Like, okay, let's do this one last time. Where they kept explaining the origin of Spider-Man. And what I kind of enjoyed about at least the first pass was how knowing it was. I mean, for example, they referenced that moment from Spider-Man 3, the infamous dancing down the street sequence. It's like, I love the fact that sort of the film was like, and we don't talk about this moment very much. And we sort of way that helped establish, like, look, you know this story. Right, yeah. But do you? Well, they actually referenced uh, the Upside Down Kiss was from Sam Raimi, 2002, Spider-Man mm-hmm. 1. The train stopping with the webbing, mm-hmm. Spider-Man 2, and then the the dance gag, it was like they rotoscoped over Tobey Maguire because those dance moves are exact from Spider-Man 3. And the funny thing is, mm-hmm. back then, we all groaned and went, oh, that's so lame. Today, we all embrace and laugh and say, oh, that's so funny. No, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, for the performances like that that, that get the humor right, on the other hand, when you, you, you think about this film's take on, on Doc Ock, putting things on their ear. Well, there have been female Doc Ock S's <laughs> in the past. I don't think that, I don't recall if they were named Olivia. I can't recall their name. But yeah, there have been female Doc mm-hmm. Ock's in the past. Okay. But what's really neat about this film is that we start off with Peter Parker and suddenly. We're in the world of Miles Morales. And in a weird sort of way, he's a great way into the Spider-Verse because he knows about Peter Parker. He knows, 
you know, what Spider-Man has done and what this hero is capable of. And suddenly is sort of thrust into that role. I love that message of the movie, you know, to the effect of that anyone can wear the mask. Anyone can be a hero. You just have to step up. Yeah, I wasn't very familiar with Miles Morales. I know I, I read Ultimates and the whole Ultimate line of comics, including Ultimate Spider-Man, and then they kill off Spidey, and I basically checked out. But that was when they bring in Miles Morales. So I really didn't have a familiarity with him because I had stopped buying comics at that point. And uh, this movie was a great introduction point to Miles and the Spider-Verse altogether. It was really well done. All too often, you'll go to a movie that, you know, has terrific characters, wonderful dialogue, but for some odd reason, you know, they hired a, a, a cinematographer that needs a guide dog. Or you go to a film that's has wonderful cinematography, amazing design, and, you know, on a lousy script. And so you're entertaining yourself by, you know, oh, well, look at that chair in the background or that sort of thing. And, and here, finally, the Venn diagrams met. I mean, you had the wonderful script by Chris Miller and Phil Lord and uh, amazing design. And the big crime boss for this thing, the physicality for Fisk in this thing should not have worked. Yeah, it was a giant rectangle with a little circle head. And there was mm -hmm. so much style with all of the art. And then you get to Fisk and he's very, very almost rudimentary, you know, very yeah, basic yeah. in shape. But with that being said, as soon as he punches a train mm -hmm. and a train flies off the tracks, mm -hmm. you look at that and go, yeah, I could buy that. He's got that mass that could take down a train. So now all of mm -hmm. a sudden you go from, he looks kind of weird to, wow, he looks powerful. Yeah, Kingpin looked kind of weird, but it worked overall. When you and I were doing our pre-show talk about this, I think you and I both were a little concerned, at least in regard to audience size for Into the Spider-Verse. Now, you went to a late show, right? Well, what time was, was yours? I want to say it was like 10 at night and also 3D screening. Okay. So right. Now, no, Nancy and I went to the Saturday night 645 show. We were in a theater, and maybe there were 30 people in the theater with us. And given the reviews this had gotten, and given the the buzz out ahead of this film, I was honestly surprised that, A, we were able to get tickets as we were driving to the theater, and B, there were so few of us in theater. But at the same time, like you said, that it didn't really matter because everyone who was there in the theater was having a great time. Yeah, cool thing about having 10 people in a theater is you can tell when all 10 people are laughing. I mean, there's no doubt when the whole gang is in on the joke. And uh, it's funny because we were all crowded into that central sweet spot, you know, for the sound and all that. So, yeah, we were all packed together uh, real tight in our little reserve seats to a, a pretty much empty theater. Mm -hmm. Had a great time. Everybody there loved it. Laughed throughout. Laughed loud. And I really think the voice cast had a whole lot to do with that. I mean, Aunt May has always been a doting, old, frail biddy. And here she's played by Lily Tomlin, who gives her a, such a cool vibe. I mean, this is one of the coolest Aunt Mays. And I love Marissa Tomei, you know, being a younger version of Aunt May. But still, Lily Tomlin topped it. Mm -hmm. um, the entire voice cast was incredibly cool. Spider-Ham rocked my world. I would love a Spider-Ham sequel all by himself. <laughs> Anyone who's familiar with the the Spider-Man mythos understands, you know, the significance of Peter's relationship with his uncle Ben. But I have to admit, I enjoyed 
the funhouse mirror aspect of Miles's relationship with his uncle Aaron. That what was your take on that? Well, thing about that is. Some casual fans may not be aware. We've already seen Uncle Aaron in the MCU in Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm -hmm. Uh, He was played by Donald Glover, the criminal that got webbed and interrogated by Spider-Man. You're a bad criminal. You deserve that. Oh, my God. You're right. You're right. And so now to get into the spoiler territory, if you watch these two movies side by side, Mm -hmm. Spider-Man Homecoming and then Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, then you can lead into what could happen if Donald Glover returns into the MCU. I don't want to give away what what happens there, but if you're familiar with the comics, you you know what's up. You know who he is. So, yeah, I was not surprised by that revelation in the movie. I was expecting it. I was eagerly anticipating it. You're right, it is a good funhouse mirror against the Uncle Ben version that we get. But it's still relevant because they they love each other as family and they're important to one another. It's just in a much different way that neither one of them could have expected. Interesting. I have to admit, given that, again, these are all Sony projects. Homecoming, Far From Home, Into the Spider-Verse, and we've already heard that there's an issue, the Spider-Verse sequel being prepped. Likewise, there is a a Spider-Gwen. And in fact, we haven't even talked about that character. And she was, yeah, honestly, uh, she was half the fun of, of a lot of the scenes. In a weird sort of way, you know, the competent one in the room sometimes. Yeah, well, Gwen's always been smart. That's been her thing. Mm-hmm. She was brains and beauty, the whole package. She's a great character. Uh, I can't remember what universe she comes out of because there are so many variations. Mm-hmm. But, there, yeah, there's plenty of comics out with Spider-Gwen for the last few years that have been very, very popular. So no surprise that they put a big old spotlight on her. Again, Spider-Ham was back in the 80s. They used to come out with these little issues called Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham. I used to buy them whenever they came out. They were just silly, fun, stupid, and the delivery for his voice mm-hmm. was really, really great. Uh, Nicholas Cage, again, brilliant mm-hmm. performance. Lily Tomlin as Aunt May was awesome. Chris Pine was, I think, our blonde Spider-Man who was at the beginning of the story that started everything off. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just so much good voice work all the way through it. Oh, and then the uh, post credit scene with Spider-Man 2099. And then he goes back in time to go visit uh, old school Spidey in uh, 1967 Spidey from the cartoon. And I was a big fan of Spider-Man 2099, and that was played by Oscar Isaac. And oh, I was just so geeked to see that. That that was that was truly special. I say this as an old fart because I saw. When Spider-Man made his debut on ABC as part of their Saturday morning lineup, little eight-year-old Jim Hill, I keenly remember the piece of bad animation they were referencing at the end of that that film. And it's just sort of like, it's like, oh my God, they're going to go there. I cannot wait, especially given how well this one was written, how smart, how stylized. It's like, and they're going to go there. I cannot wait to do for this film. 
Okay, quick trivia. So yep. old school Spider-Man 1967, mm-hmm. uh, Peter Parker did not have glasses. You know why? Uh, I'm assuming it was cost-driven. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> it, it was just God. too costly to draw two squares <sighs> on, on Pete's face throughout the animation process, so they ditched the glasses. <sighs> Well, anyway, folks, we would love to hear what your take is on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. In fact, coming up, Aaron and I are going to be doing our first ever year in review Marvelous Disney show. And uh, we're going to be looking back on the past 360 some odd days of what went on in the Marvel Universe. And if you have significant events or, or things that you'd like us to talk about, we'd love to hear about those. Want to thank you for listening in with myself and Mr. Adams for the latest Marvelous Disney. Thanks for listening. More Marvelous Disney will be coming soon. In the meantime, check out one of the other great shows found only on the Jim Hill Media Network.